0: Welcome to the Elite HRV podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance.
1: Now for part 2 of my live discussion with Onnit Master Trainer and owner of the company Moveolution. Sarah Jamieson. We recorded this interview live in her personal studio in Vancouver and in this half of the interview we dive a little deeper into using the floor as a biofeedback tool which I think is a really neat concept. Um, we also talk fear of the floor and a floor test that you can do at home, how to prepare your body for life's kind of unknown situations, uh, unconventional training tools, how heart rate variability relates to movement patterns, hierarchical levels of stress, Sarah's morning routine prescription, and a whole lot more. Um, If you haven't checked out part one of the discussion yet, I highly recommend that as well. It's also on the podcast feed here. Um, And with that, let's go ahead and dive in. Cool. So how does the floor, how do you use the floor as a biofeedback tool? That's really fascinating.
0: Yeah. Um, for me, any, anything's tactile, right? So mm. most of our sensory feedbacks are in our hands and our feet. Um, there are also two, well, four points of entry that nobody really uses a lot, right? How many people mobilize their hands? How many people mobilize their feet? Um, not a lot of people. Usually we right? strap
1: them up and make sure they don't move.
0: Totally. Right? Yeah, exactly. Our it's feet. like, I <laughs> put my shoes on, I'm looking cool, I'm trendy, <laughs> you know, um, and it's uh, yet the feet and the hands are, are quite... They're, they're so important to the human structure, right? Um, but for instance, if we, take, uh, if we take the bear crawl, okay? So having the hands on on the floor, having the feet on the floor, and then reciprocally moving right hand, left leg, forward to back. It's the first time that we ever learn how to crawl. So as babies, um, it is the first feedback tool we ever have, right? Because it's, I want to roll over. Mommy's over there. She's got a biscuit. I'd like to <laughs> eat it. How do I get over there? And so it's the first time that a child really reflexively understands how to move themselves in the world. So as adults, we don't use the floor that much, right? Um, I always say that the, the human body is your greatest teacher and your, your greatest tool, but so is the floor. And it's one of the most, if not underutilized pieces of equipment in a gym. We do everything seated. We do everything standing. What about if we use the floor to create tension in my body, and to restructure my frame so that I'm working from a joint integrity standpoint. It also helps to uh, decompress the system because we're not having this standing compression into our spine all the time. So when I say that we use the the floors about feedback tool, that's that's kind of how we're looking at. It. We're going back to again that neural development perspective of decompressing the system and getting you to reflexively use things you haven't in a while, right? As right yeah Um, rolling pattern is an exceptional way to mobilize and stabilize your body because you have to ask your body to go okay if i want to roll and i want to use my upper body i can't use my lower body most people can't differentiate between that in the very beginning yet it is such an amazing mobilization exercise for any demographic wow
1: and i don't have like the extensive background in doing screenings and things like that but Mm -hmm. when i was a coach i would tell people because i could always tell with certain clients there was almost a fear of the floor and I actually talked about this I had a podcast in the past that was focused on stress and I talked to Daniel Vitalis who's Mm -hmm. into rewilding and so we talked about this yeah it was was really neat uh, show Mm -hmm. and we also talked about a fear of the floor and how how much stress just even mentally that that could put on somebody is if you're afraid of the floor and you spend all this time around the ground you know you're walking standing Um, whatever your chair is on the floor but you have like this weird underlying fear of it so I would I would take clients through um, some quadrupedal things but I also Mm -hmm. do like a little neat test which was like okay lay down on your back um, get the shoulders all the way down or whatever and then without flipping over or uh, using your arms at all try to stand up
0: awesome
1: And so most people struggle with that unless they have a really deep squat or um, some good kind of like core, you know, I don't know the technical terms for it, but being able to like shift over up, up onto their knees real quick oh, yeah. or something like that. Um, so I just thought that was a cool test yeah. and it's something anyone can do at home. It's like lay down on your back on the floor and then don't use your arms and uh, don't, you know, flip over onto your chest and try to stand up. Oh, totally. Um, and if you can't do that, then that's, there's a high likelihood that there's some kind of underlying stress of, like I'm not comfortable interacting with the floor.
0: Yeah, and your brain shuts off from like, it forgets patterns that, uh, or files them away. It doesn't really forget, the, the patterns are always in there, but it's like, um, you know, we were talking earlier about the brain is kind of like the CPU and the muscles are the hardware, and then the patterns we upload from a neurological perspective is the software. You put somebody on the floor, and you ask them to do something like that, We're just, like, stand up without using your arms. It's mind-boggling. You're like, what? What do you mean? I stand up not using my arms. <laughs> right. Do I have to use my legs for that? Uh-huh. Um, or it's the same thing, like, get down to the floor without using your arms. Right? Yeah. Um, most people uh, don't do that because they don't spend any time on the floor anymore. Right? Even if Even if they've got children, it's still one of those things where it's, they just don't do it right right and so you're using so many different muscle groups and patterns that you've you used to know how to do really well because as babies we have to earn our stability in the world and it's the reverse as adults we now have to re-earn our mobility for most people or like myself i'm still earning my stability <laughs> but um, but it's 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 a fascinating thing and even for older populations is you know with with uh, if you have a fall The likelihood of you, you know, slipping a disc, breaking a hip, fracturing, labral tears, like all those things, go up significantly if you don't know how to get down and get back up. Mm -hmm. Or for pregnant women, how do you get down to the floor and how do you come back up? How do you pick something down when you're nine months pregnant? Small things like that, right? Is there's a fear of, of well, I don't spend any time down there. So it's funny because. uh, um, in my gym, I'm known as the barefoot Contessa because I don't have, people don't wear shoes <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> and, uh, and I basically have them rolling around, you know, I'm like, yep, every client pretty much starts, uh, down on the floor and they come up and then we do some work up here and then we do, we just go back down to that's, a certain extent. That's so, so great.
1: Yeah. It, it makes complete sense too. Cause I think about when I, when I talk to relatives too, and, um, And even my mom, which I I love my mom and Mm -hmm. uh, uh, stuff, but I can kind of tell she doesn't really enjoy interacting with the floor. And so she's always trying to figure out what a good exercise routine for her would be because everybody knows you're supposed to exercise, right? Of course, And so uh, I just told her, like, you know, if nothing else, spend five minutes just lying down on the floor and standing back up. Yeah. Doesn't even matter how you do it. Whatever, I try to change it up to different ways over time. But totally. that would be like a really healthy exercise, I would think, and correct me if I'm wrong, just because it gets you interacting with the floor. And like you said, as you age, my wife's uh, grandparents mm-hmm. are um, in that phase where her grandmother took a, a fall recently mm-hmm. and it's uh, she's okay, so yeah, that's great. That's but good. she did get pretty uh, beat up from it. Mm-hmm. And actually my grandmother too, uh, fell recently and uh, had some damage from that and so fortunately they're okay but it just uh, adds to the anxiety uh, for them that they're getting older and there's a lot of potential for injury from the floor you know this thing that's there all the time our whole lives and so that's so neat using the floor as a biofeedback tool getting reacquainted with the floor Mm -hmm. and just even mentally removing some stress from not, you know, I'm I'm probably gonna fall someday. You know, I. I
0: oh yeah, I mean, uh, everyone does. Yeah. You know, whether it's your trip over a route, you trip over a sidewalk, you know, at some point in time it's probably gonna happen. And most of the movement that we want to do in the world, um, is so that we can prepare for things that we aren't prepared for. <laughs> if right. that makes sense, right? That makes complete
1: sense. Yeah. You can't predict everything that you're gonna do in the future. No. So, yeah. It's kind of like. I don't want to get too far down the rabbit hole on this but mm-hmm. i uh like the concept of anti-fragility and uh the author oh, Nassim talib and uh so you know talking about yeah, a good example is okay uh fires uh, mm-hmm. right so um we want to prevent forest fires as much as possible so we try to clean up things and um like uh, dry brush and things like that so it doesn't catch very easily Mm -hmm. but then over time the more and more you prevent a forest fire then the more likely that if one does happen it's going to be extreme and 100% and horrible and stuff because there was all this intervention that took out all of the naturally smaller forest fires and I, I probably didn't say that eloquently enough but essentially like if you're just avoiding interacting with the floor Your whole life and just trying to stay as far away from it as you can Mm -hmm. that one day you will have to interact with it and that day is going to be a lot worse if you haven't Mm -hmm. done it before or if you haven't interacted with it before
0: that's a great analogy yeah okay cool yeah totally and it's and it's definitely true i mean it's, it's movement is a behavior as well right so i mean everything happens in the brain all we're really doing is just cleaning up patterns that don't serve us all that well and getting those other patterns that we started with because the baby's not we're not taught how to walk in the world we just we do it mm-hmm. right we're not taught how to fire a core, we're not taught to breathe right babies use beautiful diaphragmatic breath right because they have to you know <laughs> it's like i need to i need to have internal pressure if i need to crawl over to mommy to get the biscuit mm-hmm. yeah and as adults we just well i stand up so that's what i do all day so why would i go back down there well it's like at some point in time you may be down there and unless you have the clap on, clap off to call 911, if you're by yourself and you've broken a hip, what are you going to do? Right. Or it's something as small as like, with a, uh, uh, obviously do a lot of running, um, marathon running. I mean, there's been tons of times where I've accidentally tripped over something. Right, There, yeah. there's there's, there's risks out there. Or you're in the trails and you roll an ankle. Right. You know, it's like, you wanna be as reactionary as possible and that's why I have a lot of my clients work without shoes on as well, so that we can continually build from the ground up and from the top down.
1: And they get that feedback again, like you were mentioning. If, yeah. you, if you have a really <clears throat> thick-soled shoe that 100%. dulls your feeling from the ground, then you don't know where you are sometimes, and you don't know how hard you're hitting. Or
0: yeah, and there's I mean, there's times like Olympic lifting, for instance. Um, I wear lifting shoes because of the fact that I you, you do need that extra. Like lift, there's right. a whole there's there's a there's a whole anatomical reason why you have lifting shoes for lifting. It's the same thing with running. I'm not going to run barefoot. There's just too much compression, right? But the more that you can train your feet and you can do so like naturally, then it, your body's just going to be better off because you're you're undoing years of, of slapping on the uh, the shoes.
1: So that kind of brings me around to like people often like to make blanket statements, right? Mm-hmm. So this is a great example of, in general, you work with people barefoot, but in Olympic lifting, you use the appropriate tool, which is Olympic lifting shoes. Yes. Right. And so people get fired up about this stuff sometimes because it's like, oh, well, barefoot's obviously the best for everything. Right. (laughs) And so it's like, I think earlier you said something really powerful to me is that every movement has a reason. Right. And you have to determine what that reason is.
0: Always have to ask why.
1: Okay, and yep. then that gives you context for everything that goes into that movement.
0: 100%. Okay. Yeah, and it's, you know, if, you're, if I'm going to lift 100 pounds over my head, um, I want to make sure that I have a solid base to work from. Uh, most people's feet have some issues, right? They're, they're tight. They've been stuck in shoes for long periods of time. It's like anything. You have to undo that. Um, if I have the prerequisites to be able to put hundred pounds over my head through, you know, a push press or a clean jerk, I want to make sure that when I land, my feet are going to be optimally sound because if my feet aren't, if I'm wearing minimals for instance, which when I started Olympic lifting, I hadn't gotten those shoes yet and I was wearing it and I was getting some, you know, some tension underneath my feet, my knees were having tensions because I can't take hundred pounds in minimals. Right. There's just, why would you do that? it's a sport. The sport has tools that you can use like the barbell. Right. Right. So yet it's two ends of the spectrum, like barefoot running. I would never do because most people heel strike right now. I'm not saying some people can get away with it. Some people have beautiful strides. You look at other populations in the world that uh, don't wear shoes. They wear barefoot all the time. Totally fine. Cause they've adapted to that. Whereas in North America, most of the time, you wear shoes from being a baby. So you've got 25, 30 years, or whenever it is that we use running for, you know, uh, as an entry point. And now you're going to run with shoes on as well.
1: Right. Yeah, right? And, and, and it kind of makes, makes sense, sense <clears throat> too, because in day to day life, if you're just walking out in, on the street, most of the time, if you're living in a city or somewhere where there's a lot of other people, you're yeah. probably wearing shoes.
0: Yeah, well, it's painful. Yeah. And it's like, there could be glass, Mm -hmm. you know, there could be, there's other things that we, hazards that we need to look at. Tactical officers have these massive shoes that they need because if, you know, if you get into an altercation, you don't want somebody stabbing you with a needle or stabbing you with something on your foot. You don't want anything dropping your foot, but it limits ankle mobility, right? So again, it just goes back to the uniform or whatever is is we're wearing in our daily life. When I, uh, in the summertime, when I'm running, and I take a little time off from the Olympic lifting, I wear running shoes. They're, they, they have minimal support in them, but I wear whatever I need to in order to correct what I can't correct through biomechanical training. Because mm-hmm. there's just some things that you can clean up until the cows come home, but it's the chicken or the egg. Sometimes you can't figure out what came first, right? So the feet are really the foundation and making sure that whatever you do, whatever sport, Use the tools that you have for the time in which you are choosing to do that sport. Right. What you do in your daily lifestyle—that's a little different. I walk. I walk around. I let my piglets free whenever I can. You know, I want to feel the ground. I want to feel the earth. But I'm not going to walk around all day without shoes on. Right. My piglets get cold, and then they <laughs> want to go home. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it's. Uh, and again, each their own. There's. There are. I, I work with some clients that really find it challenging to take their shoes off. They're like, "Well, I have better stability with my shoes on." Like, of course, you do. Yeah. Because your foot is basically stuck in something, and it's relying on everything else. It's relying on that shoe. But it makes more sense if we need to, you know, clean up some asymmetry in your hip. Get the shoes off. Right. Right. Give the piglet some love.
1: <laughs> That's so awesome. So, yeah. do you? This is a totally off the wall question. Do you take people like outside into? Uh, or do you do everything inside?
0: Oh no, I do outside stuff all the time. Primarily in the summer. Um, So uh, a lot of the training that I do, let's say especially through Onnit Academy, is I like to use unconventional tools. So I use the kettlebell, the steel mace, the steel club, I like battle ropes, I like pull up bars, anything where even like a jungle gym and monkey bars. Uh, Getting people outside and being able to feel the earth but also understanding how to wield these different types of tools, which you can't really do in an indoor setting. If I'm swinging a steel mace, I may take someone's head off. It was designed way back as a weapon for Mm -hmm. a reason. All of these things came out at the same era. The kettlebell, the barbell, the mace, the club. They were all used as pretty much weapons. Mm -hmm. And they were like, oh, I can develop strength from this. Interesting. So in the summertime, I absolutely love taking people outside. We take the shoes off. We go to a park. And we basically just play. That's great. Yeah. And it's, you know, people spend so much time indoors as well where they're they don't have the right type of light right they're being bombarded by a lot of blue light a lot of fluorescent light which you know we talk about biohacking i mean light is one of the fundamental things you need to get or your body doesn't love you right right? vitamin d you don't get that your body's not going to respond well so getting people outside as often as i can is great because i'm killing two birds with one stone don't really like that phrase but it makes sense sure right is that they're getting a significant amount of light they're getting a significant amount of oxygen they're outside it's fun it's different uh, and they're getting the benefit of feeling the ground on their feet and they're getting the availability of using these really cool tools that they might not have access to
1: and so bringing that back to kind of bringing it all kind of back around to like more quantifiable type mm-hmm. stuff is that um, so you take people outside and you play and you have fun and, and you would recommend, I think maybe correct me, is that more people need to go outside and just move more and just, yeah. um, you know, enjoy movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then when you create, like you said, as an infant, when you're learning to crawl across the room to get the biscuit or whatever it is. That yeah. You want, um,
0: <laughs> I like biscuits. Yeah. I always use it that way. Um,
1: <laughs> and so but that's kind of like a natural thing no one coaches a baby on how Mm-mm. to do that but that's because it's built into our dna and our the way that we learn and grow from a young age yeah but however a whole lifetime of unnatural <coughs> uh habits mm-hmm. can really obstruct the ability to do those things yeah so we just going out and playing um fix a lifetime of you know dysfunction
0: that's an awesome question uh, no <laughs> um, you know there there's prerequisites to everything that we do in the world right, right. so if someone has significant asymmetry or there's a significant red flag okay um, that could potentially be a risk for an injury you need to clean that up first but there should always be an element of fun and play so when a client comes to see me it's you know I'm not a clinician and working with clinicians is totally fun as well. But I try to keep things as light and entertaining as possible, primarily because of the fact that this person is coming to me. They're, they're most often um, are coming off of an injury or that they have aches and pains that they're like, I just, I, I don't know what to do. I feel tight all the time. I'm not happy. I'm not energized. So it's really about looking at the all the spheres or the bi- biopsychosocial model of the human structure, which is biological, psychological, social. I wanna to try to get a little bit of everything in my sessions from those three portals, right? Going outside is, is, is great. I can do a corrective session outside because all we're really doing is we're working the neurological system. Mm-hmm. We're trying to get the neurological system back online and get the systems talking to each other. Um, but with that being said, you know there is an element of play to it, but there's they also wanna to have to understand why it is they're doing it. Again, going back to the why, right? Mm-hmm. If I ask you to hang from the monkey bars, and you're a 45-year-old male, I probably need to educate you as to why I'd like you to do that, mm-hmm. right? And it could be working the scapula, you know, getting expansion, hanging out. Um, but there's there's always going to be the element of why. Um, got off on a little bit of a tangent there, but...
1: That's no problem because I love hanging from the monkey bars. Like, oh
0: man, totally.
1: The best thing I ever did in the, uh, was when I worked from home mm-hmm. in my corporate job and I put a pull-up bar in my office mm-hmm. and just hanging every once in a while, like between meetings or if I was going to go to the bathroom, anytime I walked through the door, I would just hang and just deload my spine for a little bit oh, yeah. and just kind of lengthen out. It was phenomenal for just, I could just feel so much of a difference doing that yeah and, um, so that was my tangent to add to your tangent yeah but, no. oh yeah um
0: yeah it's it's, it's basically looking at it is there's prerequisites for movement i want to make sure that the client is uh, we can clean up any red flags um but we also i like to keep it fun you know i'm um, i'm not very i'm not a cheerleader i'm not a drill sergeant i like to think of me being again the transition girl somewhere in between that um because having somebody connect and be intent and Uh, energetic and inspired is fundamentally the most important thing Um, it's an 80 20 rule right I'm giving somebody really only 20% of the tools because 80% still lies in the client's hands to make those changes and to do what needs to be done when they're not with you right right so any way that I can stimulate uh, a client's mental aspect and physical aspect and emotional aspect I want to be able to do that and some people do work better outdoors than they do indoors Movement is just one piece of the pie, right? And, and as I mentioned before, movement is also a behavior. So stress changes the brain. Movement changes the brain, right? right. So if if you have a client that's really stressed out, they're going to move differently than a client that's not, right? What Even if they exhibit the same the same type of asymmetry, right? So the mental side of things is, is the brain health, but it's so incredibly important. Um, you know, and... You know, I can go off on a bit of a tangent, but you know, one of the things that I really love to do is I like to have a network of practitioners that I can refer to and use as resources and things like that. Because even though I, I am a movement coach, my background is in biomechanics. Um, mental health is a, a huge passion of mine as well, which again leads into the first responders and things like that. And uh, one in three people will have some form of a mental health issue at some point in time. That's really the statistics now. Um, being able to pinpoint and see if a client may have a prerequisite of, of, I don't want to say like depression or anything like that, but just something as as small as like not having as, as much production of dopamine or serotonin, right? It's little things like that where it's, you know, if someone's coming to me, it's my responsibility to also look for other indicators of things that we may need to clean up. Nutrition is one of them. Gut health. Um, Because if you have a suppressed immune system or immune system that's not working fundamentally sound, that's going to result in different movement, and that's going to result in the progression that we take from a movement perspective as well. Um, If you're not getting enough water, your tissue will not have the viscosity it needs. Um, If you're not doing soft tissue release, your body will not have the viscosity it needs. Um, We don't get hydrated just from drinking water, but that's another topic. Um, And it's just all these things where... um, that we need to be cognizant of, but without stepping outside of your own scope of practice,
1: right? As well, right? That's an important thing too. Um... Hugely,
0: hugely, and you know, it's. Uh, I feel very fortunate that I get to work with people one-on-one, one to three hours out of the week, so I see them more than their doctor does, right? right? But, and so from that perspective, you know, I, uh, you are a bit of a counselor in the sense of the clients will share their emotional stuff with you. And that's great because that allows me to understand where you are in this session, in this week, in this month. And maybe there's an opportunity for me to help coach you on that. Um, And if it's outside my scope, then I feel confident being able to introduce you to somebody who may be able to help you because it's a a puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. We're just pieces of those puzzle. Um, We cannot, even from a movement perspective, there are so many things that i need to consider when i'm trying to focus on correcting someone's movement you know if they're not eating well their their body's not going to produce the, the the type of patterns that i want right um because they're you know it's like bogginess, low their body's not you know processing as well as it should it's not absorbing what it needs like there's just so many there's so many like that's a whole nother tangent there's just so many things to look at and my i love i'm a big time nerd bomber when it comes to this stuff because i'm always like how do i biohack things how do i like what are the missing you know pieces for my clients that i can help where i don't necessarily need to be there but it will make our journey much better definitely right
1: So that's really, earlier I had asked you if you ever saw any relationship between movement patterns and heartbeat variability, and it was kind of like, oh off the top of my head that's like a really awesome question is what you said I think, Mm -hmm. Um, but you kind of already painted the picture right here. Oh yeah. Is that like when the body's under a certain level of stress, Mm -hmm. total stress load, whether it's mental or physical or emotional or whatever, it affects movement patterns. and so. And obviously if anyone's listened to this show before they uh, have heard about heart rate variability and how that is hugely related to systemic stress load or systemic inflammation yep and stuff like that so and you you track heart rate variability with your clients I do yeah
0: yeah and it's that's a great segue um, yeah HRV because of obviously what we're looking at is the autonomic nervous system of sympathetic and parasympathetic response right so for me if I'm correcting movement or I have a client that is Already not feeling 100% because they're not moving as well as they want to, there's going to be a stress response there, right? Then you have to add in the rest of their lifestyle, what they do in the world, which also has stressors. And stress can be positive or negative depending on how we look at it, right? Most people tend to either, I don't want to say most, I don't like generals, but undertrain or Mm overtrain, right? So we like to go all balls out or we don't do anything, right? And we see it around January all the time. (laughs) I'm gonna go, gym. Every day for an hour. Yeah. I'm gonna rock that, and I want to lose 15 pounds. And then also, I was like, oh, I got a project, so I can only go three times this week. You know, so it's like there are there are so many variables of stress floating around someone's world, where it makes my job a lot easier if I can if I can see where my client's stress response is prior to training them, mm-hmm. um, and that's where HRV comes in really well, uh, is that it allows me to be able to not let, validate what we're doing is correct. Or modify if they haven't had enough sleep um, or if they decided to you know ha- have one too many bourbons mm-hmm. cocktails right. which will also you know that's that's a, that's an inflammatory thing in all its own um, so it allows me to really kind of have a really great quantifiable start to their session and it also allows them to uh to empower them to be able to self-manage, to self-regulate where their stress levels are, because most people don't know. And we also, uh, we get used to uh, a hierarchy of stress, right? So I have a lot of clients who go like, well, I don't feel stressed out. I'm like, okay, well, you're working 14 hours a day, you're sleeping four to five hours a night, you have a family, you've got a job, you've got friends, you're going out on the weekend. I'm like, because you've, you've adapted to this level of stress, but what we can see in your data is that if you're yellow all the time or for like five days in a row, that necessarily isn't a good thing. If your heart rate is high outside of the parameters, your resting heart rate, right. that tells you that your body is struggling to find a balance. And so uh, that allows me the opportunity to, be, to, to give some more feedback of, of basically saying this is why we do our breath work. As you can visibly see when we do an open reading and we're tracking you know the exercise component heart rate will drop down pure response will come up and that's a great validator people love quantifiable data right oh yeah if you can see it and you can feel it there we go we have a winner take that home with you <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. uh it doesn't it doesn't have to be um most of my clients just want to kind of see the gauge, and which is one of the reasons why I love uh, Elite HRV is that it's the first time I've ever seen a gauge, so it makes it really easy. <laughs> clients don't always want to know about what the numbers actually mean. They just want to kind of have a good indication of kind of what's going on. If you're in the green, that's great. Right. right? That doesn't necessarily mean that you, know, you can go all balls out or do nothing. We have to find a balance with that. But what I just really want to see is you making a conscious effort to see where your, where your, uh, where your autonomic nervous system is because that vulgar drive and tone leads to everything. It's what drives our gut. It's what drives our brain, everything.
1: Yeah, that's amazing. And, and to me, the, the, the fact that you use both live biofeedback uh, with heart rate and heart rate variability and mm-hmm. other um, indicators and the long-term trending is something that's really unique. And in fact, I told you earlier that like 99% of people that I talk to, it's one or the other. Yeah. It's like either we do this live biofeedback thing and you can see live measurable results, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a good, uh, whether you're measuring long-term trending, it, it's helpful or not. But then tying it back to like a long-term trend uh, really kind of closes the loop.
0: It does. Yeah. And it's, it, you're establishing a habit mm-hmm. as well. Um, you know, I would say that, that read, having a morning reading of your HRV is so fundamental. Because of the fact that it, it's going to validate what you're going to do for the rest of the day. It lets you know kind of where your level of stress is for that particular day. So you can modify your your lifestyle in any capacity. That's not just in the gym. It's small things. Like if you are if you do wake up because you didn't get enough sleep, prioritize that for the next day so that you can get back into the green as quickly as possible. Um, and I like to look at it as something as like I brush my teeth every day. Right? There's a reason for that. Mm-hmm. So I only have to go to the dentist once a year. Right. You know, if possible. <laughs> and when I'm 95, I will hopefully still have my own teeth, (laughs) right? Right. So if I brush my teeth every day, I have to eat several times a day. These are things I need to do. It makes sense to be able to establish a routine that sets the person up for success every day. And that's how I look at the HRV. That's that's how I look at um, mindful movement in the morning and breathing. Um, And you can combine all of those together. So I'll have, most of the time, what I prescribe is that wake up, slap it on, see where your readings at work on your breathing while you're doing that Mm -hmm. so you've got two and a half to five minutes to be able to just hang out there and breathe that's going to give you an indication where you're at and then you're going to you're going to choose your movement meditation or your open chain mobility closed chain mobility you know corrective exercises and so for the first 15 minutes of someone's morning they're really uh empowering themselves to put themselves first
1: that is so powerful that is that's just incredible that you Came about this or that you came to that conclusion from a different perspective because I've looked a lot into morning routines From mm-hmm. just an entrepreneur's perspective, right? So oh, like yeah. being productive for the day if you don't have a boss Then it's <laughs> totally then you know, it's all you so yeah. it's on you how productive you are How much work you get done and getting into a good mindset first thing in the morning. Yeah, Is just so huge so, uh, um, like, I think Ben Greenfield made a post uh, on his daily routines. Love him. And uh, yeah, like he mentioned in that, I don't know any entrepreneur or successful person that doesn't have some sort of at least morning routine and oftentimes a morning and an evening routine, some kind of bookends for the day, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. And. Uh, And so uh, my wife's grandfather, he had some heart issues as a really young child and so his whole life he's uh, had heart issues. Every day he says, I move every one of my joints as far as I can. I love that. And it was so powerful. And he didn't even know that I know any of this stuff. And so he he was actually giving me a tour in the retirement community that they live in of the gym. so cool explaining the PEC deck to me and you know and (laughs) stuff and so and he knew everything about every machine in there and he's 91 or something like that
0: that is spectacular
1: exercise and movement is really important to him he didn't he's never known why but he always feels better if he just moves every joint as far as he can each day and he's 90 over 90 years old you go go to the grocery store and he wants to see something on the bottom shelf he pops a full squat with his heels down and uh, and his knees and ankles together too so it's oh
0: spectacular yeah I it's, love it
1: it's a full uh, compact squat and just looks at the bottom shelf pops right back up and it just goes and that's like not weird to him oh, uh, yeah. and you know and so that's like just an ode to how I want to be when I'm older but um,
0: yeah and that just takes persistence and dedication yes right H- humans love routine right. we love routine um, we just have to ask ourselves the question is the routine adding value to my life or not. Right. Right. And so with that, I mean, he's adding value every single day.
1: And it's not hard. Yeah. And, and like you said, it, it starts with, uh, as an entrepreneur, as anybody, mm-hmm. um, I found that if I start the day with a focus on myself, yeah, then that puts me in a place where I'm better able to help others or better able to interact with others. And yeah.
0: Yeah, totally. The morning routine is huge. And like you said, the evening, like the bookends um, are hugely beneficial because it sets you up for the day and then it closes the day and sets you up for restoration. Sleep is the best meditation that we can do. Most people don't get enough of it. Mm -hmm. Going to bed feeling like you're at ease, spectacular, you know, so it's important to have those two routines like every single day. But most most people don't realize the impact that it plays on their on, on everything in their system, their health and vitality. Um, and I love I love being able to educate people on that. And my clients have specific routines that they do, and um, you know a lot of the corrective exercises that I prescribe are built into a decompression at the end of the day and a mobility uh, opener at the beginning of the day. So it 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 has elements of like qigong and tai chi. Like we did a little bit of that. Uh, So that they they feel like it's not like, okay, I need to get my body in this position. And yes, there's a certain amount of technicality to it, but I just want you to move. Mm -hmm. And these are the the best way that we can get you moving for right now. And it changes month to month, quarter to quarter, year to year. That's great. You know, but there's fundamentals still there.
1: So speaking of education, Mm -hmm. um, you've got a pretty neat background of working with or having experience with biomechanics and then working with first responders and having the FMS in your toolbox, and heart rate variability, and breathing (laughs) techniques, you've done a lot, really. It's it's impressive and it's exciting, and I think that um, you also uh, share those so you share mm-hmm. those in a way through the on it durability courses and, we do yeah um, is there other ways that people can kind of learn from your experience on all this stuff
0: yeah of course um, I, I absolutely love to share as much information as possible um, and I try to keep a very open mind um, so the the major kind of portals I would say that I use for that is my move uh channel which is uh, both through YouTube as well as through my Facebook um, people can get in touch with me anytime. My, my email is everywhere. So um, one thing I would love to say to, to the listeners is if you have a question, feel free to email me. Um, and then through obviously Audit, on, uh, Audit Academy, um, the durability certification is open to anybody. We have clinicians, we have trainers, we have clients, um, anybody that wants to learn more about uh, a really intensive work on mobility, fascial uh, systems, all of that Um, and on it on demand is uh, something we've just launched in January and basically what that is is each master coach which I'm a master coach for on it I teach the durability certification um, has their own channel and so my channel focuses on bringing kind of a general scope of how to program recovery into uh, into your monthly movement practice Um, and it's you know I've got a 12 year old Olympic lifter out of Ohio that's that's using it she's freaking phenomenal she might go to nationals this year which Sweet. I'm really stoked about and seeing a seeing a young girl lift and prioritize recovery just that just makes me so happy in the world but yeah so it's uh, so that's another resource that that uh, that people can look at um, in regards to how to build this in to your not only your daily practice but your week and your month where does that fit in one of the biggest questions I always get is okay well how do I fit in recovery work right, right? Um, And that goes back to overtraining and undertraining, right? HRV plays a huge part in that because we can see where, you know, where your stress levels are at. And then we build that into your peak and your build phases and your recovery phases.
1: Um, So um, real quick, mm -hmm. if like, uh, we get a lot of questions from coaches and clinicians or just anybody who are trying to uh, integrate heart rate variability Mm -hmm. into their program. And so, you've had good success doing that, but just overall integrating this whole concept of recovery and durability into um, a practice, mm-hmm. is this something that people can contact you about? Can, oh yeah. Okay. yeah.
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, I work with a lot of coaches as well. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the times if I'm working with an athlete, I'm not working with them in a capacity of strength and development, right? It's, it's very different. Structural strength and structural stability, yes. Um, but I will work with a coach As to what should this person be doing in regards to the corrective work you've been doing with them um, on their on their deloading phase right right? and so I allow um, or not allow but I offer them you know education experience on what tools they should use these are kind of like the sticky points Um, if you want to get from them from A to B here's the in between for that Um, so yeah I mean definitely there's I'm open to if I get questions around the same thing I usually end up posting answers and Whatnot on Facebook so that it goes out to a, a larger general public. But working HRV into your business model isn't complicated either. Okay. Right. It's, uh, I mean, with the elite system, it's super easy, you know, but again, it just goes back to the 80, 20 principle. If your client is willing to put the routine in and make that investment in their health and wellness, then it's an easy in. Um, when I do a consultation with a first time client, they have to fill out a comprehensive intake form that, is a little bit longer than most people's. Um, and it does weed people in and out where they're like, I don't really want to feel all this out. I'm like, okay, well, why are you here? <laughs> all right. Like, if you really want to invest and you're going to spend a certain amount of money with me, I want to make sure that I'm maximizing that potential and that value. Right. Most people are pretty open with that. Um, but HRV, I usually end up uh, putting into literally their, their, their first session. So when I'm screening them, if they're open to it, we put the heart rate monitor on, And we get them set up on the system great right and from that point on most of the time they're pretty cool with it Uh, wearable technology in general is is somewhat new for for an older population as well so it sometimes it takes a little bit more nurturing and like inspiring (laughs)
1: Um,
0: and that's something that over the course of the last year of me integrating my business model has been hugely um, beneficial because I'm seeing so much better results with the clients that i have using the system because they're taking more ownership and empowering themselves to self-manage what they do day to day
1: that's so awesome i'm I'm, that's amazing to hear that you know because uh i often tell people like hey this is also for you to just take control of your own life and kind of learn more about yourself and you may not even measure heart rate variability for your whole life you know eventually you might get a pretty good tap on how you're supposed to feel, you know? Yeah, one and, hopes
0: that that's what you get to. Right, and you know? so,
1: like, that's neat to hear that um, that you're getting good results and good buying and getting people to actually start uh, feeling accountable for their own mm-hmm. system.
0: Yeah, and much like corrective exercise, my hope is that as I'm coaching them on, on analyzing the data and using the, the, the system itself and the platform, is I want to get them to a point where they can now do that on their own. Right. You you don't need to know all of the idiosyncrasies and how to interpret hundred percent unless you really want to go down that rabbit hole, which I'm totally open to do. Um, (laughs) But it's really just like you said, if you get to a point where you know what your triggers are for stress and you have coping strategies that now can honor and process and adapt, you're golden. Mm -hmm. You're golden. And that just goes back to routine. Right. Right. Do you need to work 19 hours a day? Nope. You know, I don't train at 6 a.m., because the fact that I like to wake up and I have a certain morning routine that I do and that sets my day in the right direction. It's just, it seems pretty simple. It does. It's simple it, but complex.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's practicing what you preach and putting yourself in a, a good state of mind and in state of health is the most effective way to then help people and so if you don't understand yourself or accept your own limitations Yeah then you're going to be running into or, again, doing a disservice to your clients, too. So that's, Yeah,
0: that's exactly. Powerful. Yeah, you have to lead by example because you can't, you can't put 100% of yourself into that. Um, and you, it's also a respect thing as well. If I'm going to tell my client to do something and I'm not actually doing that myself, like if I say, you know, uh, d- donuts are not the best morning breakfast and I have one of those every day, that's not going to work. Right. Right? Because I'm not honoring the the information I'm giving to my client. Right. Right? And it's for me, I would really love to be a superhero. So any way that I can try to make myself superhuman (laughs) and I would love my clients to be able to do that as well. I have lots of clients who are like, the most amazing thing ever. I get them to do blood analysis every three months, they're you know, they're going, they're doing they're trying different things, they're experimenting and just trying to figure out how to live the best way that they can with the easiest Modalities that they can, right. right? Wearable technology is one of the easiest ways to be able to do that now.
1: For more information on increasing your body's durability and resilience, check out Sarah's courses and seminars over at the onnit Academy. Uh, to get in touch with her directly, head on over to her website, Movevolution.com. And as always, links to our guests and to the show notes can be found over at EliteHRV.com slash podcast. And I'm honored to say that we've got a lot of great reviews for the show trickling in over on iTunes. It's always amazing and humbling to know that thousands of people... Are listening to every single episode. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to drop a review, I highly appreciate it. And the links to do so are right in the description of this episode on your podcast player. Or you can just hit up EliteHRV.com slash review, and that'll take you where you need to go. Um, a big thanks and Happy New Year from the team here at Elite HRV. And until next time, this is Jason Moore
0: signing out. sponsored by hrvcourse.com truly understand the science and mechanisms behind heart rate variability and how to apply them towards your goals use discount code elite podcast for 10% off your first hrv course that's all one word elite podcast visit hrvcourse.com to get access today